You were born in a country that no longer exists, then grew up in a Germany that no longer exists before settling in the United States. But from your very beginnings as a German language teacher in America, deep in the Cold War period, you wanted students from both places to better understand each other's countries. That was in 1977. Now flash forward to 2019. 42 annual two-way exchange trips later, you haven't missed a beat. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of exchange stories. My biggest priority was to give these young Americans the opportunity to look at something beyond the picket fences of their own homes. I think that is something that is in very short supply in the country here. So that was one thing. And when you get to be 17 or 18 years old, it's time to look around someplace else. Really, the overriding wish that I had was to open a little bit of the world to these young people here. This week, Americans as Foreigners, scenes from Cold War East Germany, and four decades of life-changing stories. Join us on a journey from Canton, Massachusetts, to Bocholt, Germany, and making a contribution. And that's an understatement. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. These exchanges shaped who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves. And oh, that's what we call cultural exchange. Ooh, yes. My name is Elzandi Kulovius. I come from Germany, and I was born in East Prussia, which is now part of Poland. And then during, I was a small child during the Second World War. After the expulsion from East Prussia, I was in a detention camp in Denmark for two and a half years. And then we were released to go back to West Germany. And my father had been a prisoner of war, and he was then released and was able to get us out of the camp into Wiesbaden, which is my hometown. So I went to school there. I grew up there. And I uh, married an American from Boston. And uh, that's why I'm here. So it's all my husband's fault. I always tell him. I started teaching in Canton in 1977. They were looking for somebody to teach German, and they contacted the German department at Brown University, and that's how I came to Canton. And then uh, we had three years of German language instruction, and I was able to build that up to the fourth and fifth year. Uh, Then several of my students wanted to go to Germany on an exchange program. And that's when I, what motivated me to look for a possibility of establishing this exchange. Mm-hmm. 
the 41 years of the exchange, the total number of students, both American and German, is somewhat over 2,000. Every year we have the German group coming to see us for three weeks in October, and there are always 25 students. And then in April, we make the return visit, and I take uh, around 20 students each year. understood very early that you have to have people convinced that this is a good idea, people in the community, because in the end, uh, without the parents, without the par uh, families involved, uh, you can't do anything. So I had their uh, support, and then I started working on the administration. We had a principal at the time who was not convinced that it was a good idea to send American students anywhere. He wanted the students to be in school in the four walls. But the parents of the seniors who wanted to go to Germany, they got together and had meetings with him. So he finally said, okay, we'll try it. One thing, the, the idea that uh, many, not all of course, but many of the young people had about what Germany was like. I mean, there were questions that in retrospect now, the students themselves would say that they were really stupid questions. You know, they would ask whether people had bathrooms. So that gives you an indication of how little people knew and how convinced the young people and many of the parents, of course, at the time that we're talking about the around 1980, they were absolutely certain that everything here was better and more advanced. And I wanted the students to see that while all societies have problems, all the same problems, whether you're talking about drugs or whatever it is, all societies have to deal with that and to see that there are different ways of going at these problems. And just the idea, to plant the idea in their head, you have the problem, a problem the society has a problem to solve, and what we, can we do about it? You know, we have this possibility, but there are other possibilities. And I think that's a, probably one of the most valuable lessons of life that you don't stick with one solution that you think is the best without checking whether there's anything else that one could, one could do. And I do that to this day. I have been always very sure not to have the, the three weeks in Germany be a tourist endeavor, but really to get into some societal issues, what, what is better, and would you like this more than that? Would you be willing to try? So that kind of thing. American students are very grateful, grateful to have the opportunity to go. Every year you had maybe one student who had been out of the country. And of course, a student exchange is something very different. The students all believe that they are on their own. 
and independent. They really aren't, but you know, you, you let them believe that and it's, a, it's really important for their maturing. That is one thing, they're, they're very polite abroad. They are very helpful. Every year I have uh, excellent comments from the German parents who had hosted the American for three weeks saying thank you all the time. They say thank you much more often than Germans do. And they recognize that a trip to a foreign country is something very special. That was in the deepest Cold War. We were in, in Berlin, and the students had some free time and they wanted to get some souvenirs. That was in, in West Berlin now. They went off by their own, and I gave them maybe two or two and a half hours of free time, and they wanted to buy souvenirs for their parents or whatever. They came back, a whole group of them had gone to some souvenir shops and bought the Berlin bear with a crown on the head and all that. And they went to the uh, cashier, of course, even though they had studied German, Americans opened their mouth in, in Germany and everybody knows. So the, the owners of the, of the, was a woman, did not take any money from them and uh, said, and the students didn't understand why, why didn't she want to take the money. And then she said to them that they had been children when the airlift was going on and that they remember surviving at that time because of the American help. And uh, that's why they didn't, uh, she didn't take the money. In the deepest period of the Cold War, the one-day trip that we always took to East Berlin was really a nerve-wracking experience. I did not go through Checkpoint Charlie because I wanted the American students to experience what Germans had to go through in order to go from West Berlin to East Berlin, even though nothing happened to American students. If you had an American passport, nothing would have happened because that would have been a huge international incident. So the East Germans were always smart enough not to do anything like that. But to the students, it didn't seem that way. There were these long corridors, and on a raised level behind this counter, and the military sat behind that, and so you were standing up, and your head was just about above the counter level, and you had to show your passport and all this. And they always took a long time. They would study the passport, study the passport, and sometimes go out of that space and you didn't see where they went. So American students were very nervous to have given up their passport and this person is disappearing. And you couldn't see where they went. And at the time, I was the only teacher going with them. I couldn't be in front and in back. So I had all, all the students go through, 
And then the students had to go through a door. But there was no window in it or anything. The door was only this narrow. You might just as well have fallen down some pit somewhere. And that's what it, what it seemed like to the students. And then I was the last one to make sure that everybody had gotten through. And then, of course, everybody was gathered behind that door waiting for me. So nothing had happened, but you didn't know that. So that was a, a really, really nerve-wracking thing. Some things are more difficult that you do, especially in, we go to Amsterdam for a whole day, and uh, we always go to the Anne Frank House, and at my school, all students read the diary of Anne Frank when they are in middle school, and that is a difficult thing. And I make sure that there, there are certain parts of the exhibit that I point out to them in, in particular, it's very important, but it's, it's not enjoyable in the sense that we mostly think of. It's a difficult thing. I think it's also it's more difficult because my people did that. But I'm very, very careful about including the history of the, of the Hitler time. And also when the German students are in Canton, I always uh, have a visit to the local synagogue, and I have a program with the rabbi there teaching about Judaism, which most Germans don't know anything about. So I always include that in the, in the program. I always try to make them realize that for the first time, they are the foreigner because most Americans never have that experience that they are the foreigner. I always say in Canton, you're responsible and, and your parents are affected by your conduct. But when you are abroad, it is you, first of all. It's your school. It's your town. And it's your country. When a German misbehaves in some way or does something he or she should not be doing, no person in Canton cares about the name, whether it's Katya or Susanna or whatever. And I always say to them that in the end, Germans don't care whether you're Tom or Peter or whatever. It's the Americans did that. Your conduct is indicative to the German of what the United States are like. We try to integrate into the German school with the American students, and one of the really fun times for the American students is to attend classes in the fifth and sixth grade at the gymnasium. 
in the English classes. And I always work with my German colleagues, so we have groups, and you know, you have four German children and two Americans, and they spend the time with each other in class. And that is just wonderful. Every year, this never changes. And the Americans are absolutely floored how much English the young, I mean, they're 10 and 11 years old. And then they, the German kids want to have autographs of the American students and all things like that. And that is how exchanges really are built because all these students having the Americans, first of all, it's wonderful for them to have these big students, they have juniors and seniors, so have these, these big students come and pay attention to them because the German upper classes don't do that. And to have the attention of the much older students and to have the Americans. And they go home and, you know, can't stop talking about it. So that, of course, builds a desire in them for eventually coming to, to Canton. There are many of them who will tell you or the parents tell you that the kids started saving some of their Taschengeld, their pocket money, for that trip. mentions that Germans eat together. That has not changed in the 40 years. And this kind of running off, the American students running off to get a bite to eat with their German student, that just doesn't happen in Germany. So that every student writes that down. The other thing that they all comment on is the freedom they have. That German teenagers are much less, and children, are much less supervised than American youngsters. And in school, they all mentioned that they are free. If they, if they have a free uh, Freistunde, they are allowed to go in town and have a Coke with their friends and then come back to their next class. And the, for the German students, they could never understand what these little slips of papers are that an American student shows a teacher. And when a student comes in late to your class, he has to have a pass from the previous teacher. So the American students, even when they pass from one class to another, they are, at least theoretically, always under supervision of a teacher because a teacher is outside of the classroom door during passing time, and so the student goes to the next, where the next teacher is, in front of his classroom door. Uh, so American students tremendously enjoy the freedom and that they don't have to ask for permission to go anyplace. And of course, when they get to be 18, they rebel against that. You know, so for many, the the trip is in addition to all the cultural things that they learn. It's like a trial for their going away to college, and the parents look at it that way too. So for three weeks, as seniors at the end of the year, they are 
out from under their, their supervision. So they all hope that they mature. important to me personally, since I am from Germany, uh, the exchange pro program has given me an opportunity to kind of knit together the two, two parts of my life, my personal life. And my husband uh, loved Germany, and he, he died last a few months ago. So it was really, from, from me, apart from all we have said about the students. For me personally, it is something good to think about that I have been able to, to introduce so many young people to my home country and vice versa then. I always say, people ask a question of, of, uh, of people who have, were born in a foreign country, always, where do you like it better? That's, where do you like it better, Germany or, or United States? And I always say, um, it depends on what day you ask, you're asking me. If you ask me on a bad day, I will tell you that I feel as if I'm over the middle of the Atlantic and I don't belong any place. And on a good day, I am very happy that I'm competent on two continents and that I can live in Europe and I can live here and make a contribution. Twenty Two Thirty Three is produced by the Collaboratory, an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name's Christopher Wurst. I'm the director of the Collaboratory. Twenty Two Thirty Three is named for Title Twenty Two, Chapter Thirty Three of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. This week, Elsa Nikolovius, founder of the longest-running American-German academic exchange, discussed her 42-year involvement with the German-American Partnership Program, or GAP. For more about GAP and other ECA exchange programs, check out eca.state.gov. We encourage you to subscribe to 2233. You mean you haven't subscribed to 2233 yet? Where have you been? And we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at ECA Collaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. Photos of each week's interviewee and complete episode transcripts can be found at our webpage at eca.state.gov slash 2233. Special thanks to Elsa for four decades of opening the world to students from the United States and Germany. I did the interview and edited this segment. Featured music was Onwards, Upwards by Ketza, and three songs by Blue Dot Sessions, One Little Triumph, Our Names Engraved, and Peacetime. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came, and the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tagirlius. Until next time... 